Welcome in. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. Back from vacation for week two. It's good to see you again, Dave. You're in a new, you got a new, you're in a new setup today. Yeah. The kid's still awake. So I had to move to the uh, auxiliary podcast studio. Gotcha. Gotcha. Don't want to, don't want the little one to come in and, and try to get his shine. Yeah. We don't want him taking away any of my spotlight. <laughs> We've got a special guest first half of the show today. We are about halfway through the off season. We are less, we're about what, about six, seven weeks away from the start of fall camp. So I thought we would get a little check in with the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bearcats. None other than my good friend, Mike Denbrock. Hi, Mike. How are you? <laughs> Chad, I'm doing awesome. Uh, thanks for having me. And, uh, I always look forward to our chats. This is uh, the highlight of my day so far. Well, it's better than sitting in traffic, at least. You got that right. I did my share of that on the way home. So we're happy to be home and uh, happy to be uh, isolated in the basement, away from all the distractions that I have running around the house, and uh, happy to uh, spend some time talking about uh, what's going on with Code Red. Let's first talk about uh, the camps opening back up, visits opening back up. It's 15, 16 months away. You're a guy that's been in this business for a long time. Did you genuinely miss it, and are you already over it? <laughs> I'm actually surprised at how much I have missed. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> you always kind of, when you go into camp season, you know it's going to be a little bit of a grind. You know there's going to be. Uh, a lot of kids that need evaluation. There's going to be travel involved. There's going to be uh, late nights and early mornings and, and just trying to make sure you get your eyes on as many people as you can. And then, you know, when, when it's gone from you and you can't do that anymore, obviously it affects your ability to really know your football team and who you're bringing into your program. And I think we're, we're going to go through that a little bit this year. I mean, there are some unknowns with our incoming freshman class, uh, you know, we, we know them as much as we possibly can through Zoom calls and, and all the other things that we did over the course of recruiting and, and after recruiting to, to get to know them, get to know their families. But there's nothing like uh, eyeball to eyeball contact and the ability to kind of dig into people on a more personal level when you can see them face to face. And having the ability to get back on the road and do that, uh, I think, is, is huge. And, and it's been a lot of fun so far, although we're right about in the middle of it right now. So uh, some of the fun has started to go away. Some of the shine <laughs> has started to wear off just a little bit. Uh, but we're really excited. We we have unbelievable uh, interest in coming to UC to our camps that we're having. Uh, the numbers have been really, really good. And, uh, you know, we're seeing that everywhere that we go. And, and obviously with the success that we've been able to muster for the last few years, uh, when you show up with a, with a CPAW logo on your, on your pullover or whatever, there's a, a, a lot of interest and a lot of people want to catch your attention and talk to you. When you talk about that 2021 class, while there is still some unknowns, you guys have to be pretty satisfied with how well you were able to navigate the situation and still land a lot of really talented prospects that quite a few of them we got to see uh, through spring and in the spring game. Yeah. I mean, no question about it. I mean, I, Looking at last year's class in particular, uh, you know, we had kind of a welcome to campus uh, recruiting weekend with the guys we'd already recruited uh, last weekend was, you know, we didn't have any uh, 2022 official visitors in necessarily. But what we did have in was 
uh, our freshman report and, and just seeing those guys in person, uh, incredibly impressive. Uh, there's a lot of really good football players in that class and uh, we're excited to add them to what we're doing and what we have done. And, and obviously the early enrollees, uh, couldn't be happier with, with where they're at. And, uh, you know, so the ability that we had as a staff, I think to, to put that together, to hold it together, uh, and now to kind of get those guys integrated more into our football team, uh, it's just going to make us stronger. David. I did have a question on, on recruiting. I know you can't talk of obviously specific players, but with the super seniors, and I heard this today on another podcast, so I'm stealing it from them, but with numbers being what they are, how, how has that made it harder to know, say, we really like this kid, but he might be, you know, a high, high, high level kid, but we don't know if those teams have room for him versus taking a kid that you also really like and is just maybe a little bit lower on your board where if you wait, you might end up getting the top player because you find out they don't have numbers because everybody's numbers just seem so crazy. So how do you balance that in this COVID recruiting environment? (laughs) Well, David, first of all, thanks for having me as well. But I I think second, you know, when you look at the roster in particular, you really – the key to today's college football and the way things are evolving with the transfer portal, with the super seniors, with, uh, you know, all that's going on, roster management is going to be a huge key moving forward and, and really has been probably for over a year or so. And, and uh, you know, we sit down and talk about those things as a staff alike. I, I think it a lot. I mean, I think it starts with your own football team. I think understanding uh, the needs of your football team and where you're at, you know, can, can you take a guy that maybe is, is rated number three, as opposed to number one, who has a lot of major offers because maybe he's a better fit in some other areas, you know, in, a, in assessing your own football team that you currently have. So that's a piece of it for sure. I think since we've come here, uh, you know, way back when we first started our recruiting efforts here, uh, we weren't going to shy away from recruiting the top of the top, uh, no matter whether they decided to pick Cincinnati as their home destination or not. We were going to get a, you know, be a dog in that fight no matter what. And we were going to scratch and claw and do whatever we could to, to make sure they were a piece of it. And uh, for a lot of different reasons, uh, some of which are coming, you know, have, you know, bared fruit here over the years with transfers and things like that. But uh you know, I think more than anything, you got to shoot for the very best players that fit your program the very best that you possibly can, regardless of where they have offers from. Uh, but you also have to be mindful of, uh, you know, guys in your program, are, are they going to leave early? Are they happy with this, with the role that they have on your team? How is that going to affect your roster? Uh, relationships with your current team and with recruits become so much more important and what that really relates to is digging in and, and putting more work and effort into it as a, as a coach. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not afraid to get our hands dirty and make sure we're on top of those things. So uh, I think it's a, it's a new challenge. It's, it's something that's just come about over the course of the last couple of years, as far as, you know, especially with this year, with the super senior question that you asked me in particular, you know, how many of those guys are going to have roster spots available to them at a, in a Georgia or a Florida or, you know, guys from the South and things like that. We're, we're, we're all over that as much as we possibly can be. 
uh, and trying to navigate our way through it as best we can, it being kind of a new phenomenon in college football. So looking at where you, you talked about when you guys got here, looking at looking back at then, is this where you imagined things would be five years later? Because it's gone from a lot of question marks when you first got here and a lot of work that needed to be done to now you're sitting pretty damn near the top of the mountaintop and, and fighting for more. Well, it, it certainly opens up a lot more doors. And I think the, you know, the thing that we've got to do a really good job of navigating is, you know, how many of those doors that are open to us now do we actually want to walk through? Um, you know, we build a really good football team, uh, developing players, making sure the culture of who we are and what we are, uh, the players that we brought in were a fit for that. Um, worked on our own team tremendously uh, day in and day out to make sure that, you know, they were playing the type of Cincinnati football that, that the fans love and we all love uh, to be a part of and be associated with. So I don't think that can change. The core values of who we are and what we are aren't going to change. There's, there's going to be more and, and more talented players available to us as we continue to have the success that we're going to have here. There's no question about that. But I don't think we're ever going to lose the core of who we are. And we won't, we won't chase stars uh, just because they're stars. Uh, you know, if they're a fit for who we are and what we are and, and they fit into the fabric of, uh, you know, rolling up their sleeves and, and getting their nose bloody and, and really wanting to play in a Clifton-style uh, football program, then they're going to be attractive to us. And obviously, uh, you know, we've had an opportunity over the course of the last recruiting class and then the start we've had to this recruiting class uh, of getting some of the top kids interested in what we're doing. And, and hopefully we can shut the door and finish some of these battles that we're in. Let's look to, uh, to 2021. You got a lot of toys to play with. <laughs> yes, sir. You, got, you got a lot of experience. You got a lot of depth. Um, uh, would you say right now, uh, say uh, confidently that, that, that things look good, but there are, you know, maybe a couple questions at tackle that need to be answered. A couple questions, maybe, uh, who steps up to be behind Jerome Ford. Um, but other than that, things, things seem to be, you know, clicking pretty good on the offense right now. Well, they, they really are. And, and obviously it all starts with the quarterback and, and, uh, you know, he's all does, right. Does, 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 uh, you know, giving us an early Christmas present and um, letting us know that he wanted to come back and, and uh, you know, work on his game more and, and be part of this football team and, and be in that leadership role that uh, we all knew that how what a valuable piece of the puzzle he is from so many aspects uh, was a huge piece of it, of, of course. And, and it starts there. You know, we run a lot of what we do and, and who we are through the quarterback position. So, having him back is absolutely invaluable to what we want to do. You know, I think the good thing about the question marks on the offensive line, and there are some question marks there, and I think it's more of a question of making sure the right pieces are fit into the right spots uh, than it is talent, which is, you know, not always been the case. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've had to patchwork some things here and there to kind of uh, put the line out there that we thought could line up and compete the way we wanted to compete. I think we've got uh, good numbers on the offensive line. I think there's great competition for playing time. I think 
you know, we've got, we're going to have a clear rotation with some of those guys if they all continue to come along like we believe they will. So I think there's, there's plenty of options there, which is a, a real bright spot. Uh, I don't know that it's all settled yet. And I don't know, you know, what part of fall camp that actually will happen. And I think the same is true at running back. I think there's, you know, obviously Jerome Ford is, is somebody that uh, is going to kind of be the leader of that group, somebody that we're going to lean on very heavily. Uh, and what we do kind of in the tradition of, a, you know, Michael Warren and, and Jared Dokes and, and, and here comes Jerome Ford uh, with uh, just as good a skill set and better in some areas, I think. And that's exciting, you know, but behind him, I think there's some hungry guys that maybe haven't had as many touches over the course of the last couple of years as, as they'd like. And, and now they've got an opportunity to kind of define their role a little bit. So it makes for an exciting fall camp. I think the same is true at wide receiver. I mean, we, we've, we've talked about it before, but we spent an awful lot of time trying to get that room where we thought we could line up in this league and really be competitive and, and even surpass this league and, and play with anybody uh, as far as, you know, beating bump coverage and, you know, people who want to get on us and, and bump us and grind us a little bit. And I think we've addressed that very well. And I think there's depth there and I think there's quality depth there. And I think we've got a chance to really make a giant leap in the passing game this year. And that's really where our concentration is. Dave. You guys made a big jump from 2019 to 2020, just in points per game, almost eight points a game. What is, what are you looking to do from an offensive standpoint, whether it's personnel scheme to not just stay there, but even elevate, you know, the offense from a scoring standpoint, big play standpoint, even more. Yeah, I mean, I think it all revolves, Dave, around the passing game. And we, we've got to get more consistent with our passing game in all areas, really. And, and we're, we're, we're really good in, you know, the cupcake throws, if you want to call them that. We're, we're pretty good in the intermediate passing game. Where we've kind of fallen short is, is our deep ball stuff. And I think we've got the skill on the outside to really cause some defenses some problems. And, you know, we've got to – put an emphasis on that headed into fall camp in particular. And, and I was just talking with the other offensive coaches about this the other day. I think, you know, just from my standpoint, I, I think we've got to not be afraid offensively to even in practice, make sure that we are a little bit more kind of specific with our scripting and practice, uh, you know, because there's nothing like live reps, even when you're working on deep balls, you know, you can, you can set up a deep, a deep ball passing drill, uh, you know, where the quarterback's not got a rush and he's letting the ball go and it looks pretty and it's flying in the, in the air 60 yards and the receiver's not got anybody bumping and grinding on him and catching. But if you do it in team time, and I, I think that's one thing we're going to do a, a lot bigger emphasis on headed into fall camp to help Dez's development there and help our wide receivers understand that they're going to have to make some contested catches and, and, and be big play guys for us. So, I think that's the one area if I had to point to one where, you know, I, I think we've got to do a much better job of, of just amping up, you know, not only our yardage uh, throwing the football, but our consistency throwing the football. You know, I think Des's completion percentage for a lot of the year last year was near 70%, which is awesome. Uh, but if you take the throws over 20 yards, you know, he'd be the first one to tell you we, we if we're a little bit better there, um, you know, if we make an increase, incremental increase in, in our ability to stretch the football field and, and be more explosive, uh, 
there's no cap to what this offense can do. And I, you know, I, I don't know what we ended up points per game. I, I I'm honest. I'll be honest with you. I'm not really a stat guy. So 37.5. Okay. 37 <laughs> point, which is, you know what I mean? And I think this top, team, it was top 25 in the country. So I, I think this team's capable of better. I really believe that. And I know we can be, and I know we will be. And I think, with all the pieces that we have in, in, in place and the number of different guys that can touch the ball and make explosive plays and, and do the types of things that we all love to see. Uh, I, I don't see us being anything but better at all those areas and in, in scoring being, you know, right along with that. Can you give us a little insight into just Des as far as the command he has of the offense coming back for, you know, his, you know, his senior season, so to speak. Um, and just the, the, the level of control you guys give him as far as checks. And because we see college football is a lot of turn, look at the coaches and then call the play. Like what is his level of that versus what most quarterbacks around the country have a handle of? Well, I, as I, as I said a little bit earlier, we, we rely heavily on the quarterback position and, and, a lot of teams, uh, for instance, don't use their quarterback as someone who checks protections. We do. You know, it, Des is responsible for protecting himself. So he's he's got to understand defensive structure. He's got to understand blitz patterns. He's got to understand, you know, coverage tells and different things that tell him where pressure's coming from so he can make sure that he gets himself protected. That's a huge thing. And he he's had that since he took the job. So He's better and better at that as time goes along, obviously. He's get more experience. It's a little harder for the defense to fool you. And he he does a hell of a job with that. Also going into usually every game, I'll usually give him five or six different run game checks um, that he can get us to. He doesn't have to look over. He doesn't have to worry about it. He, he knows where we're going, uh, whatever those things happen to be in the run game. So both right now currently in the run game and the passing game, uh, he has the ability to steer the ship on the field with a lot of the stuff that we're doing. I think what expands from there, you know, I think is in the passing game, quite frankly. I mean, I, I would love, and I think we're moving in that direction um, for Des and the receivers to be confident enough uh, to have, you know, uh, that type of awareness uh, where they can have their own communications on the field. And if, if we've got a dead route going and we got a better way to do it, uh, that's something that is going to be part of our preparation in the fall as well, where Des is going to have the ability to, uh, to change the route combination or, or do some of the things that need to be done to make sure that we're in a better play if we need to be. So uh, I think obviously the more, you know, the more we heap on him uh, and, and coach fix on me all the time about, you know, man, you, we put a lot on the quarterback and, and it's true that we do, but I also believe that he's the guy with the keys to the, to the car and, and he's the guy driving it and he's the guy playing the game. And I, I certainly as a play caller don't want to pigeonhole him into certain things that he may, he may see better than me or, or may feel more comfortable with than me. And, and if we can get to those things easily and it doesn't cause uh, angst around him with anybody else and we can make those things work a little bit more creatively and a little bit more from him uh, being in charge of what we're doing I'm all for it. how spoiled have you been lately looking around that tight end room with Josh and Lenny and, and Josiah now in the NFL 
You got Shaman Mateer coming in, Noah Davis and Peyton Singletary. You ever you ever look around and think, I, I got it pretty good? I definitely look around and say, I got it pretty good. I mean, except you have to deal with Josh every day. Well, that's true. But, uh, you know, we, we keep him <laughs> under wraps. We, 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 we keep him under wraps as much as we can. But, uh, you know, that the guys in that room in particular, I, I think what stands out to me, you know, you start with Josiah. It was important for Josiah before he left here uh, to, I believe, set a standard of how we were going to play in that room. And, and I know there's been a lot of really quality tight ends come through the University of Cincinnati, and they'll continue to be. Um, we consider ourselves tight end. You, I don't give two craps about what anybody else says. I, I know what we do here, and uh, I know how these players play every day. Um, and then what that does for you is it passes the mantra once they see, you know, Josiah have the success that he has. There's more hunger within the group to improve their own game. And I think you saw that from Bruno. I think you saw that from Josh. I think you saw that from Lenny. And I think you continue to see it now that Bruno's moved on, you know, with Arizona, with the Cardinals, and and he's going to have a chance to play on Sundays. And now all that does is just build more momentum for these next two dudes. Uh, you know, Josh and Lenny, both of them in particular, are those guys could play in anybody's program anywhere in the country. And uh, I that we we obviously do a lot with those guys. We ask a lot of them, uh, but they're up to the challenge in every way that we we throw at them every challenge we throw their way. They seem to, to knock it out of the ballpark. So, and I'm excited for Peyton Singletary's development. I, I think he, he had, was having an incredible spring uh, until, you know, he had got nicked up in, in one of the scrimmages, unfortunately. And, and uh, we lost him for about six or seven days, which I think, you know, it'll be important for him to have a big summer and continue to come along. And, you know, Noah Davis is going to give us some good depth in that room and has some experience getting on the field and playing and in front of big, big crowds and big stadiums. So uh, I like that group. I love their work ethic. Uh, I love that they, they really hold each other accountable as much as I do. Uh, they demand that, that there's a, a level of play and there's a standard that we live by in the tight end room. And, and those guys do an incredible job of living it every day. I know you enjoyed coaching quarterbacks, but was, was, was going back to tight end like a, a homecoming for you it seems like your happy place yeah I mean it's it's an it's it's more natural to me for sure you know I mean I, I didn't play quarterback in college I played tight end so you know just and trust me I was now <laughs> nowhere close on the level of some of the tight ends I've had the honor of coaching over the years but uh you know I, I it's just different you know I mean I think what it allows me to do being in the tight end room in particular is keep a real close eye on what's going on on the offensive line, because we work a lot with those guys in a lot of practice. So it gives me an opportunity to really dig in there when I need to. And it also gives me the ability to, to really be with the wide receivers at times in the passing game. So from a coordinator's perspective, it, it gives me, I think, a better vision. If you're if you're coaching the quarterback in particular, and I know a lot of coordinators do that and God bless them and everybody's got their own way. Uh, you, if that's your guy, he deserves all your attention all the time. And, you know, you don't really have the, you know, the, the time or the, you know, the opportunities as much as you'd like as a coordinator, unless you're a walk around guy and you've got a, a coordinator or a, another coach who's coaching the quarterbacks, 
to really spend the time with the other positions that you really need to and want to to make sure that that your vision is what you see when when you line up and you start playing football. So uh, I think it's helped us offensively. And obviously, you know, Gino, Gino Gadouli is an incredible football coach and having him in there in particular working with those guys is a godsend for a coordinator, number one. And number two, being a coordinator who's not in the quarterback room, having a guy like that that you can trust and, and, and you know uh, what the message is and you know how it's going to be relayed and, and that it's so in tune with what you want and what you believe, uh, it makes it a lot easier. Who are a few of the offensive guys taking away the usual suspects that you feel are primed to break out this season that our fans should, should really keep an eye on? Well, I guess that would define on who you feel like is the usual name. You know, let's so take out Des, 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 Jerome Ford, Josh, Alec <laughs> Pierce, Michael Young. Uh, well, I, I, I'll tell you, I, I really like the spring that John Williams had. I, I, you know, we played him at left tackle. Look at him just going straight to the offensive line. Offensive guy. line, baby. Listen, we're an <laughs> offensive line-driven program. We we keep saying that nobody believes us, but it's absolutely the case. So uh, let, let's start there. I mean, I, I think him in particular uh, along the offensive line had an incredible spring. I, I'm going to tell you another guy who we made a move, moving him from tackle to guard, and he has just blossomed even more is Lorenz Metz. And I think Metzi had a really, really good spring. And, and you know, Metzi's, uh, Metzi's struggles at times have, are well-documented, obviously, but uh, he's a quality kid and a quality football player, and he's going to help this football team, and I love what he's did. You know, obviously, you know, Jake Renfro at center, just a tough, nasty dude, love him. Uh, if we had five of them across the front, we'd, we'd have five All-Americans. Just love what that kid does and what he's doing. You know, I think if you move to the running back position, I thought Ryan Montgomery had a really good spring. I, I really do. I think he, he showed his ability to catch the football. I think he showed a little twitch in the hole and uh, the ability to make the first guy miss a little bit, and, uh, as he does when he's catching the ball as a punt returner. So I, I think he's – He's kind of primed for, uh, you know, some good things coming forward. Tyler Scott at the wide receiver position, I thought, lit it up. Uh, I thought he was really, really good uh, all spring. Uh, Love some of the things that we saw from him in particular. You know, Michael Young, who we played as an outside receiver uh, mostly last year. We moved into the slot a little bit here in the spring. And uh, with him and Trey Tucker, as a, a kind of one-two punch combo in there uh, with Tyler Scott also kind of in the rotation, not at the slot, but as a field field receiver, uh, you've got three very, very good, talented football players, and then we all know what's going on into the boundary. So uh, those are some guys that kind of stood out to me. There's, there's more than that, that that I could mention, but uh, I know we're only on a 30-minute podcast, so I don't want to go past my allotted time. You're a lot of time is whatever you need. I just want, I don't want to get in trouble with, I don't want to get in trouble with your wife. It's an off day from camp. She's got things for you to do coach. I know I got to get my butt up there and cook dinner. That's the first thing she said when I walked in the door, let's go. I'm hungry. So <laughs> get, get done what you're doing and let's go. You got any more Dave? I'm good. Fire right away. You got, 
You got something? I mean, I've always got something. Oh, yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Looking around at the American. <clears throat> um, just uh, take me through, like, Tulsa kind of, it seems like, has modeled themselves after you. And sports is so copycat related that do you feel like this league is kind of evolving more towards a defensive identity um, as opposed to maybe when you got here, it was, you know, and, and last year that you're going to have your past happy teams. You had Memphis and, and UCF is always going to be UCF, but it, it seems like at least you guys have started a trend towards if you're going to, if you're going to have success in this league, you better be able to defend and you as an offensive coordinator are, are left kind of cracking that code as each of these teams puts more emphasis on it. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think there's, there's been a little bit of a shift. I think, you know, the model that, you know, we used when we first got here um, that we've built on since, you know, we, we came into uh, to kind of take things over is, is one of just really built on great defense and, not necessarily throwing it 60 times a game, but playing as a football team and playing to win as a team uh, more than stats offensively or stats defensively or whatever you're doing. And that, that I see that more than I see, you know, there's still the team, you know, you're going to have SMU. They, they really don't care. They're going to fling it all over the place uh, as much as they can. UCF's going to fling it all over the place. I think, but the other teams, you, you, I think primarily you see the teams that are making the most jump and improvement, in my opinion, like Tulane, for existence. I mean, Tulane has done, I think, a really, really nice job of kind of, I wouldn't say they modeled themselves after us, but I think it's a similar philosophy of playing team football. And, you know, that's, that's what, what I meant when I said that, not that you yeah. guys play the same style, but the mentality. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I would agree with that. I think there's more and more of that kind of going on because I, I think what you're finding is, you know, teams are not as likely to outscore anybody anymore. I, there, there's a lot of teams that can score points. You know, you, I mean, you know, five years ago, six years ago, 10 years ago, if you were scoring near 40 points a game, you were probably, you know, higher than 25th in the country in scoring offense. You were probably leading the country in scoring offense. And now it's 50 you know, but the team that you're playing can score 40. So somewhere something's got to give. And, and instead of living every Saturday on the edge of your seat in a shootout with the style of defense that we play here, you know, what's best for our football team and, and what's best for our football team is, is to play complementary offense and defense. And that's what we've done so well here over the course of the last three years in particular. When you take the practice field, how much of a pain in the ass is it every day to look over and see my and sauce staring back at you? It can't be fun. I mean, it's, is I have so much fun with those guys just talking crap back and forth. that It's a privilege to have them out there. <laughs> to be honest with you. They make it fun. I mean, they, they, they make it fun for me. And I think they make it challenging for the guys on offense, which it, not everybody in this league has the same advantage that we do. You know, offensively in particular, when we line up every day in practice and we're going team time against the defense, uh, when we're moving the ball consistently, we're doing it against the best unit in the conference uh, by far and maybe one of the best in the entire country. So I think it's been a, an incredible help 
from a development standpoint for the kids on offense, just to be able to go against those guys every day. And, and I think we've done a nice job over the course of the last couple of years of returning the favor. And uh, there's some great give and take. They make their share of plays and uh, we make a few plays along the way too. And it's just a, a really cool competitive atmosphere that we've created on the practice field. And all, all that's done is make all of our football team better and raise everybody's level of play. Now, here's an interesting question for you. This has been bantered about some throughout the offseason. I want to hear your take. Where would the second team defense rank in the in the American Athletic Conference if they were the first team defense? Yeah, I would say above above the middle for sure. I'd say probably fourth, fourth or fifth. Yeah, just just I mean. There's some dogs on this. I mean, let's not even start talking about the D. I know Maje, right? Maje's, Maje's Maje, and nobody else has one like him. And thank God for that. Uh, but there's not another other, Jawan Briggs in this conference either. Well, that's that's what I was going to bring up. I mean, some of those guys that you know would we go uh, you know twos in practice, and I look up and you know there's there's Briggs and and some of those other monsters that they're playing with over there, and I'm like, that's wait a minute the twos are in <laughs> right and Scruggs just chuckles and looks over and goes he they are our twos <laughs> and that's I mean that's kind of what you're speaking to I mean it's it, it's uh you know that group in particular the depth uh and that's something that you know offensively we I think we're, we're getting there it, it's been a longer process uh to try to build that but you know the depth that we have defensively is is uh really really at a high level with you guys, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of even taken last year to a higher level than the year before, winning the conference, undefeated regular season, the game against Georgia. Did you, have you seen even a higher level of return on from a recruiting standpoint of from last year in particular, or is it still just a kind of a cumulative effect of probably like the last two to three years? I mean, I I, I think kids kids today their attention span is how long not not very long right with uh you know life on social media so uh the last three years i think really resonates a lot i think we got an awful lot out of the georgia game for sure uh when it comes to recruiting and it comes to a lot of other things um just on our football team period i mean you know i, I think back and i have this conversation a lot just you know if, if recruiting's a piece of it for sure but just the development of a program, you know, we, we go up to Ohio State, uh, we don't play well, we get embarrassed, quite frankly, as a program. And, uh, you know, we just weren't ready for that yet. You know, a year later, we get Georgia in the bowl game, we're every bit ready for it. Um, and this year, we got a couple challenges on the schedule that are kind of our guys are really looking forward to. They're ready for those moments. And I think the same thing's true when you look at it from a recruiting standpoint. You know, we've built over time the ability to uh, have sustained success. And each year we've been able to kind of push the bar a little bit higher, whether that's with our play on the field or whether that's in our recruiting efforts. Uh, and there's no reason that that has to backslide one little bit. And uh, we don't expect it to. And that's not our goal, and that's not our, our, our design in any way, shape, or form. 
we're going to continue to push this bar higher. And uh, I really believe uh, we're set up to, uh, to be a, a program that can sustain what we're doing and even grow higher. All right, a fun one for you before we let you get upstairs. Uh, what are you cooking for dinner tonight? Well, it looks like chicken salads. So I got to uh, navigate the raindrops, get my fat butt out on the, on the uh, grill and, uh, and get the chicken done. So uh, we can have a little leafy, green leafy vegetable <laughs> and uh, a little chicken. Hey, I've got, I've got tacos ready to go downstairs Ooh, for when I get done. That's a yeah. good call. It's a good that's call. A good call too, I've been on a, I've been on a crunchy taco, like old school crunchy taco kick lately. Um, early October, you walk back into South Bend and I'm sure you're going to have a lot of uh, emotions there, but maybe the most fun storyline of that game going into it is two guys that practiced against each other as coordinators every day uh, get to, to duke it out on the field. Are, are you looking forward to that? Because I know you and Marcus had a lot of fun working together. Or no, you're not looking forward to it. Oh, my uh, God. I, can't, I mean, it, it can't get here fast enough. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 and just because, just, just because of the respect that I have for him and, uh, you know, just as a person and as a football coach, I mean, I, I love Marcus. And, and we had a great working relationship here, obviously. And, you know, you become friends with people. And, and a lot of people – don't like playing against their friends. I love it. I love it. I mean, I love to ever see it, 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 there's nothing like beating one of your friends. So if, if you get a chance to line up with a, with a good football team against a good football team and you get a chance to beat one of your friends, nothing beats that. So there, we're looking forward to it for sure. And uh, it, it's going to be a great day. It's a great day for our program. Uh, to have an opportunity to play on that stage. And I guarantee you, we'll be ready for it. How do you think Fick's going to look at it? I know he, he's, he loves the opportunity to beat Marcus at anything. He may, uh, he may chew his tongue off. <laughs> it'll be, it'll be, it'll be a pretty intense day for sure. And uh, you know, in, in, in more, more just because of what I was trying to explain. I don't know if I did a good job, but I mean, you when you're playing against people that you've known so long and, and cared about so much and have, have been such a big part of your life, uh, having an opportunity to have a one-up on them is, uh, is a pretty important piece of the puzzle. Well, they're, they're, you guys like to, to have a little good-natured ribbing between all of you, and that's fostered by the head man, who, if you've ever watched a press conference, likes to take a shot at me uh, any chance that he can get. <laughs> and and that, that, that's just part of it, like, it, you know. It's like he told this. Lucas told the story about Marcus tried to like wrestle him one day, and Luke tied him in a pretzel and laid him down on the ground. Like it, it, it's fun to kind of have that one up and to be able to, when you see each other, be like, "Hey, remember uh, October fifth? Remember that?" <laughs> yeah, well, there, yeah. There, this this one's gonna live for a long time. When when we get this one done, it, it it's gonna live for a long time. There'll be a lot of text messages and phone calls flying back and forth. I can guarantee you. All right. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it. And uh, enjoy the chicken salad. Looking forward to it, kind of. Kind of. You just made me hungry for tacos, so thanks a lot. <laughs> for that. You and know, I'll you go can make chicken tacos. I know. I'll go try to choke down some of this green leafy stuff. I mean, <laughs> it's supposed to be good for you. That's my Seems wife. pretty terrible to me.
<laughs> thanks, Coach. We'll talk soon. Appreciate Thank it. You, Coach. Appreciate it, Chad. Dave, Dave, thanks, man. See ya. All right. There you go. Mike Denbrock, offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bearcats. Mike, you can just hit leave if you want, and you're good. Okay, we're, gonna, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep going. Okay. Appreciate All right, you thanks. Guys. See, See ya. There you go. Mike Denbrock, offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bearcats. And Dave, a lot of a lot of interesting stuff in there. And and he obviously feels like as long as as long as they get things situated at tackle, uh, which they think the talent is there, it's it's getting the right pieces in the right place. This could be a really fun offense to go with a monster of a defense. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's just a lot of different ways you can go with this. I mean, you have a quarterback that, you know, is getting as many accolades preseason that we've ever seen, you know, rightfully so. You have a deep running back room that I'm – I didn't get to ask him because he mentioned – talked about the running backs a little bit, but – there's a dynamic change with Jerome Ford that they haven't really had in a while that I'm just interested to see how that plays out. A true home run hitter. Right. Do we, do we see the run game utilized in a different way? Is the screen game uh, used a little bit more? Just, yeah. I mean, you saw it against Georgia. If he can do that against Georgia, he can do that against every team we play. Yep. And for as good as jokes and Mike Warren have been, they haven't had that as their feature back since they've been here. Um, you know, they have it with Chuck, but Chuck's got to stay healthy and he's not your feature back. You use him at, you know, as your complimentary piece, but we know the tight ends, the receivers took a big jump next year. I think, you know, run the run game on standard downs wasn't great last year. I think the numbers, if you just look at straight numbers, it looks really good because you have Dez. And you had your running back. Yeah, but your two main running backs had big yardage totals as per carry average. But they could get better running the ball inside, and they could get better just on your, you know, standard rundowns. So I thought that improved some once they settled on O'Quinn and Renfro. It did. You know, I thought but they really struggled. I mean, on I'm, the I'm picking early. on where the offense can take that yeah. next step. No, I'm with that, you. You know, I felt for a little bit of time there was. There were too many two and three yard runs, you know, in standard run formation, standard rundowns that they could take a step there too. That Des bailed him out a little bit sometimes with the way he could run the ball, uh, you know, out of pass downs, but then also just straight quarterback keeps and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's the, that's the thing is, the offense took a big jump last year across the board, and there's still areas. And he talked about the deep passing game, which is you know one, two, and three on you know my list and most fans' lists. But there's still areas that they can have improvement, which is a scary thought when you're averaging almost forty points a game with that defense. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think we're good there for now. We got to we got to leave other stuff to touch on this summer, but sure. Uh, I you know had a, I was talking to, to to Coach Denbrock yesterday at the camp and said, "Hey, why don't you jump on with us tomorrow night for a little bit?" And and he graciously obliged, and uh, that's good stuff. Good a good little uh, summer update. 
for you on uh, on the offense and, and where Mike Denbrock plans on taking it in 2021 and beyond. Um, we, we were going to talk and uh, agreed to talk about uh, the, the college football playoff expansion article by Pete Thamel this week saying uh, as of today, the most likely scenario is 12. Uh, eight is still definitely on the table. It sounds like four seems like it is a thing of the past. Thank God. Where does Dave come down on playoff expansion? Well, I'm obviously all in on playoff expansion because even taking the UC side of things out of it, college football is my favorite sport. And I don't think there is enough, or I shouldn't say I don't think there's enough. More is always better in this case. Um, and I don't, I love the 12. I think that's your best bet to maximize uh, expanding. I don't see eight being much different from four. Um, my biggest gripe with this whole thing has always been that if you go undefeated, it's the only sport where if you go undefeated, you, you can still have absolutely no chance to play for a national championship. It's the only sport. If you win all yeah. your games, you can still have zero chance to play for a national championship. And I don't think that's right. If, some, if you see beat Georgia, if you see beat Georgia last year, they were not going to be national champions. Right. Some teams can have a better chance and that's fine. There's always levels, but like, if you win all your games, you should at least have a shot to keep playing to prove that you can win more games and win a national championship. And I think I don't, some people talk about, well, it's stale and Alabama and Clemson and Ohio state. And I get all that. And I understand that, but that's always going to be the case. No matter what, it might just be different teams in the next generation or something, but the sport as a whole, I think has finally looked at it and gone. We have a huge population that frankly doesn't really care about the sport being the PAC 12. And then we have another subset of that group that automatically when the season starts, realize they've got no shot. Then you have another subset that is like, if every possible thing goes exactly as planned, we may have a shot. And I think that that's hurting the sport as a whole. And I think going to 12 somewhat alleviates that because you can lose a game and still play your way in if you win your conference championship, which I think you should be able to do. I don't think a loss in September, no matter who it's to or who you are, should just automatically disqualify you from having a shot. So I think, you know, the talk is the top four teams would get a bye and the other teams would then have like a first run. Those would be super exciting. I would find that to be super exciting. You could have, like last year, you could have had conference champion UC versus another conference champion to see who plays, whoever the one seed is, Alabama. Like, you don't think people would be interested in that? Like, I think, I think they would be. You know, and you know, I just think the obviously it's going to make a, a ton of money. I mean, that's going to drive this thing from, from the start, but I just don't, I've always felt this way. I never understood four. I never understood five 
quote unquote power conference teams excluding at least one of their leagues automatically every year. Sometimes two, if yeah, if two leagues get one two of the four bids. So I think it's what what do you say? And it's still exclusive. You have 130 teams and you're still only having 12. It's still a super small percentage compared to the number of teams that make the college basketball tournament compared to the total the number of teams that make the professional sports playoffs compared to the total teams. Like it's still the smallest number. So it's still exclusive. What, what do you say to the folks that say it devalues the regular season? I don't think it does at all. I think it makes the regular season even more exciting because you could theoretically have a team with three or four losses win their conference championship and go to the playoff. And I think that that's fine. Like if, if eight and four Northwestern beats undefeated Ohio state in the big 10 championship game, we're just going to say that that's like a terrible thing. Ohio state fans are. Okay, don't lose. If you're 12-0, <laughs> don't lose Dayton 4 Northwestern. And they're still probably making the playoff right. at 12-1 Ohio State. Right. Like, I don't think it devalues it at all. I think right now devalues it because a Pac-12 team that's in the top 10 loses – like if Oregon loses to Ohio State this September, they have no shot of making the playoff. They could win the rest of their games and win the Pac-12. They're not making the playoff. Yeah. So it devalues their season because they lost to another top five team the second week of the year. Fair enough. What do you think 12 would do in terms of making this a a longer term destination for Luke Fickle? Because then there's a much more clear path to his team playing for a championship every year. Um, Because let's face it, let's face it for sure. If you go through three, four seasons like last season, or, you know, two more seasons like last season over the next five, where, you know, you're right there, but you just know you can't get in. You can't play for a championship. That is going to get frustrating to a guy that that competes and loves competing at the level Luke Fickle does. Well, I think two things happen if you go to 12. It takes a little bit of the power away from the selection committee. Yeah. Because just use last year as an example. We all railed that they didn't even consider them for the playoff. Like didn't even have a discussion, put two lost Florida ahead of them, put two lost Iowa State ahead of them. They were still eighth. So they would have easily been in the playoff last year because they, they won all their games. They won their conference championship. So it, it takes that power, that subjective power away from people that, already have this overlying thought that you just don't belong. You don't compare because what we've also seen with the, with the playoff is that teams from the G five, typically multiple teams finish way ahead of where they were ranked preseason wise. So it kind of also takes away that whole bullshit of that UCF faced and now UC is facing on a little bit different scale is that you had to have the season before the season to like get the attention, then get yourself preseason ranked high enough to then win all your games and then be in the playoffs. So 
if it's 12 teams and a G5 starts the year just anywhere in the top 20 and goes undefeated, because I feel like you should have to do that. You should have to win your conference championship. They're going to make the playoff. So the, the avenue is there for him, and it's almost an easier path than it is at 95%, 90% of the of the Power 5 schools. Like, I feel like if it goes to 12, and the whether it's the American Conference getting an automatic bid, which I don't see happening at all, they're going to fight. They're going to fight giving the P, the group of five. That's why I want to go to 12, because if it only goes to eight, they're, they might do the whole bull crap of best eight teams. No, like I saw one person talk about nobody gets bids. We just pick the best eight teams. And like that totally defeats the purpose of expanding the playoff and supposedly being about inclusion. But if say it's the same format, the, the, G, the highest ranked G5 is in the playoff automatically. There's a way better shot that that's UC than it is Minnesota, Tennessee, Boston College, any of these like middle of the road to even towards the upper end of the road, uh, power five schools. So really at that point, it just comes down to money. Like, and do you like, do you think you can turn that? We'll use Michigan state as the example, Michigan state into the Ohio state. We're like, you're in the playoff every year, even if with a loss, because you're that good. You you go twelve and one in the in the Big Ten or what or whatever eleven and one in the Big Ten, like you're just automatically going to make it. And I don't have a problem with that. Like I don't have a problem with like the Alabama and the, the Ohio State and Oklahoma. Like beat them. Like there's always going to be great teams and there's always going to be bad teams. Like figure it out. But from an inclusion standpoint. <laughs> I think it would definitely benefit UC holding on to Luke longer because he knows even if we start the year 17th in the country, if they win other, if they win the conference without having, you know, two, three, four losses or something, but the and they are the highest ranked group of five team, they're in the playoff. That's, right. all, you, that's all you can ask for. You then have a shot. It might not be a great shot. And that's the thing I think some people – get lost in making the playoff is the goal not winning the national championship you just want to have an opportunity everybody's got different levels of opportunity but to not even have an it's like making the final four right you I mean you want to be in a sport that if we do everything that you tell us that we should do we at least are in the tournament whether you're yeah. Kentucky in basketball or your Abilene Christian. If we, if Abilene Christian wins all their games, they know they're in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Um, I think we're good on football for now. You got anything else? Uh, no. I, ready for some visits? Yeah. Official visits start this weekend. Uh, a large group of the kids that are already committed will be here this weekend, plus a couple – um prospects that will be here as well uh we will be all over it as we always are 
Uh, Aaron has been informed. Be ready Sunday to uh, to work on recruiting because it's uh, it's a fast and furious. Is the oven is the oven preheating? Uh, we'll see. I don't I don't know specifically yet on that one uh, with the guys that are coming in on this trip. But I mean, it's always a possibility. You get them here, you show them what you got to show them, and and see where it goes from there. Um, basketball did get a little intel from, uh, from open gym last night. Um, remember the last time we talked about open gym, we talked about, uh, well, I think this was on the BVP that, uh, Jared Hensley was, was given Jaron Cumberland some fits in one of the, the, the early open gyms. Well, (laughs) yesterday, the, uh, the Wiley veteran showed back up after they had been playing for about 15 minutes already. And uh, I was told this was the format for yesterday, Dave, because they had had, you know, they, they were with Mike Monday and Tuesday, and they had workouts Monday and Tuesday, uh, and they were doing testing. So guys were, were pretty beat. And the, uh, the goal for open gym on Tuesday night was first team to win four games walks it off. Like uh, you win the day. And uh, Jaron showed up. I think there, uh, the, there was the team with David DeJulius. So I thought David played, from what I've heard, I thought David played really well yesterday. Um, he seemed like, uh, from the, the, the reports, that he was having a lot more fun, enjoying basketball again. So that's, uh, that's a good thing. Uh, we're, we've seen a lot of pictures of guys with smiles on their face. Um, good to hear that David is back to smiling and, and having fun and, and playing well. But then Jaron came on the floor and uh, promptly won the next four games and sent everybody home. <laughs> they did not have anybody that could guard the big fella. Uh, and and he, he was apparently yelling at Kyle Washington the whole time. So, you know, him and Kyle, obviously, what, were teammates. What did he think Kyle was going to do? Oh, no, he was just, you know <laughs> – take somebody the whole score on somebody and start yelling like things at Kyle. Cause I think Kyle was apparently giving him a hard time as he was, you know, getting ready to play. So he was, he was giving it back to Kyle a little bit, but um, I've heard really good things continuously about um, Hayden Koval's ability to shoot and his ability and it's an open gym setting, so you take it with a grain of salt. But his ability to pick and pop, his ability to trail fast breaks and bang threes, um, you know, just just an overall effect of stretching the defense with the five man that can that can shoot and block shots. And someone say to me yesterday, remember remember the people that because Hayden Cobal was seven foot one and white. He just instantly was Chris Vote. The way you couldn't you couldn't possibly describe two more different players in terms of style of play. The only thing they have in common is that they're seven foot, seven foot one, and white. Koval's a rim protector, moves they both, really well. They both have the letter V in their name. They do both have the letter V in their name. That is also a similarity between the two. But Koval moves well. He shoots it from three. He can pass. He blocks shots. He can defend the pick and roll. 
like these are all things that were not uh were not prevalent from the center position last year. Um, I did hear that Abdullah Doe uh, got through all the medical stuff protocol that they have to go through now, getting guys cleared, uh, and that he is he practiced on Tuesday for workouts and then was at uh, open gym on Tuesday night. So uh, if anybody was worried about that one, you don't have to be anymore. Um, the other one, the other guy I keep hearing a lot about, and this is uh, this is the epitome of the difference between open gym and and reality. AJ McGinnis offensively is really really good. We just don't know if he can guard anybody. So or his, or be really really good when someone's actually <laughs> trying to guard him. Yeah, but I mean, th- there are some things naturally that you can tell. Sure, but let's be For, real. No, there there aren't any hard closeouts happening in uh, in open gym. Depends on how heated the session gets. A lot, a lot of flybys trying to start early, the fast. Hands up, uh, trying to start the fast break. Early on in open gyms, yes. But depending on how that day goes, you know, there are days that, that temperatures uh, rise a little bit. Guys get a little bit, uh, a little bit heated over things. And, and next thing you know, everybody's digging in and playing with a little bit more purpose. But uh, the, the question, I think, for McGinnis is going to be, you know, can he can he sit down and defend? And if he can, I think that's going to give him an opportunity to get on the floor. Um, Mikey Saunders continues to impress with his his speed in the open court. Uh, and, you know, what we saw at the end of the season, uh, getting a little bit more comfortable being able to step out and, and knock down a three, which is a, a you know, a massive piece of the puzzle for a guy that has that, that speed in his arsenal that, that Saunders does, you can bang some threes. Next thing you know, you got a lot of opportunity to kind of pump fake a closeout, go by somebody and and have guys respect you in a much different way. Uh, Anybody you're curious about anything you would like to know? No, no, you're not you're not in basketball mode yet. You I probably haven't even you probably couldn't even tell me the roster right now, could you? I could probably I I would guarantee I would forget at least two guys, but I mean it we're we're like less than 80 days from the start of football season. I have my brain has no space for basketball. You don't have. You don't even have curiosities. You don't. Nothing. It's open, it's open gym. It's not even like real workouts yet. I mean, it's open gym. Wow. The only workouts they're doing it, right it, now. It, are this like would be like me drills. being like, "Who looked good at Devereaux?" Sometimes those guys that looked good at Devereaux had a breakout season, Dave. Other times, More those times guys at Devereaux, <laughs> they look good <laughs> they at Devereaux. Yeah, they just look good at Devereaux. <laughs> so no, I. Your your reports are are plenty of info for for me. You know who I heard was there yesterday and didn't win a game. Uh, I I do know because you told me. <laughs> it's just a just a guy from across town. A, pr- a prep school player. Guy from across town. Initials are are PS. I did. I did hear a great story yesterday, and and it, it was related to uh, to this. 
Um, so North Carolina open gyms are like, there's really two places that you hear of that have these elite open gyms in the summer, North Carolina and UCLA. And the North Carolina ones are just, you know, the, the, the old guys come back in town, you know, they're there for a week or two. I would like to go to if Rashid Wallace is there. I'm sure at times he, he has been, I don't know that Rashid still laces them up anymore. Uh, but, but North Carolina open gyms are a big deal. So the Duke guys were allowed to play, but there was a very simple rule. You had to bring five and you had to play as five. We are not mingling with you guys. <laughs> you're not. Co-existing. You're not on our team, but you're, we're not, we're not playing together. If you guys want to run, Bring five, and you can run. But if not, don't come solo. We ain't got space for you here. We we're not we're not playing with you. We're playing against you. I think that philosophy will uh, be taken up going forward. I, I would imagine so. And those would be fun. Now those are open gyms you want to hear about. Yeah, sure. The Crosstown Open Gym. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, that was the I just only game, was... if that was the only game they played all year it'd be fine with me <laughs> i just thought that was hilarious like you can you can play but but it better be five because if not like you wasted a trip across town <laughs> you're not playing on any of our teams fantastic fantastic all right you got anything else anything else you want to hit on uh oh quickly Food related, of course. Guess where I went to lunch today? Uh, La Torta Loca. No, oh. S- similar, same genre. Uh, I don't know. You tell me. Where did you do your first Brendel's bites? Oh, you did Cholero. Yes, it's right. It's pretty close to my office. Okay, I've got a better suggestion. By two, the way, two thumbs up, big time. It's very good. Big time, good. My favorite part might have actually been. The salsa with the chips and salsa. Yeah. It's like, I haven't had one like that before. It was not, it was was not like a pico. It was not a red salsa, but it wasn't tomatillo salsa either. Very, very good. So you know where the radio station is? I, I, I do. You know, the little gas station right in front of it. I do. The shell station. Yeah, there is a taco truck in that gas station parking lot that is also fantastic oh, and right. and cheaper than Cholero. Well, there's pretty cheap, so three bucks I know. tacos They're aren't bad. Two fifty tacos. Two fifty tacos. And they were they were also also very good. So yeah, if you're I'll, if you're I'll in Kenwood, be, I'll definitely be going back. The guy that was in there when I was there had a torta, looked good. Yeah, the tortas, they put all kinds of stuff in there. I would definitely be heading back there. Yeah. So, yeah, Cholero, Cholero is very good. The, uh, the, the, the taco truck, though, is cash only. Good to know. You need to know those so, things. Yeah, the taco truck is cash only. The last, the last radio shift I did, I stopped at the taco truck. The only thing I didn't, like, it didn't, it didn't do anything for me. Wasn't mad about it. They give you two tortillas per taco at the taco truck. Yeah, I'm, I'm not 
I don't I don't need the second one. No, I don't. It's just filler. I don't need the extra the extra carbs. Now, here's the other thing I would say, though. They put so much steak in those steak tacos that you could turn three tacos into six. Oh, yeah. very easily, very easily. Like. When you fold it over, the steak was all the way up to oh, the yeah. top I, rim. Cholero was that way too. I did the traditional. It was excellent. Yeah. It was very good. So glad you liked it. Yeah, it's good. Glad, glad you enjoyed the Brendel's Bites recommendation. Kelly's out of the hospital, so we'll, we're going to get one of those back up here at some point in the near future. So that's good. We, we were planning on doing one last weekend, and uh, everything kind of went to shit. <laughs> yes, it did. So we're we're back in action. Kelly's home, resting comfortably. I think I don't know. I've been I've been up here for an hour yeah. and a half. But all right, well, it's about all I got. You good? Me too. Gotta go. Uh, give this kid a bath and get him to bed. Gotta love bath night. Gotta love bath night every night. Yep. <laughs> all right. Well, that'll wrap it up. A huge, again, special thanks to Cincinnati Offensive Coordinator Mike Denbrock for jumping on with us and uh, talking some football. And as always, thanks to my partner, Dave Simone. And special thanks also to our partners at the Holy Grail for sponsoring this podcast. That's going to wrap it up. He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next time. It's the Holy Grail BCJ Podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com.